Off Air with Joe and Oral is brought to you by Postmates. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. Order your takeout through Postmates Pickup because it's a great way to support your community. For a limited time, Postmates is giving LA listeners unlimited free delivery for three months when you sign up. To start your three months of free delivery, just download the Postmates app or sign up online to place your first order. And also, Smart and Final knows that whether it's holding spare keys, lending a cup of sugar, or keeping the noise down, it helps to have neighbors you can trust. As your neighbor, Smart and Final is committed to the health of our neighborhood and community. And we're doing our best to make sure your shopping experience is comfortable and a safe one. So keep your heads high, your hands clean, knowing we're doing everything we can to keep your shelves full so you can fill yours. For the latest updates on store hours or to order online, visit smartandfinal.com. It's also brought to you by UCLA Health, the official medical partner of the Dodgers. I want you, want you to remember that you've got to continue to do your part to play for Team LA. That means wearing a face covering when out in public, but it also means that every Angelino has to keep up with their regular medical care. So do your part for your own health, for your family's health, your community's health. Book a doctor's appointment or schedule a video visit. We need you on this team. The people of Los Angeles have shown that we're resilient as individuals, but we're unstoppable when we work together. From frontline healthcare workers, grocery store clerks, delivery drivers, folks working at home, everybody keeping their physical distance, regularly washing their hands, we all play for Team LA. So visit uclahealth.org to learn more about how you can do your part. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Security Benefit. Every winning season is built on a strong team a team committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know that you've got a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. Security Benefit, it's a proud sponsor of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Coming up on this episode of Off Air with Joe and Oral, we've got Walker Bueller as our guest, and he was fantastic. Deep dive into his mindset as a pitcher, uh, what he's doing during the quarantine. You won't believe what he built during the quarantine, but a lot of great stuff in there with Walker. And of course, we're going to catch up with Dave Roberts. Are we closer to baseball? And even more of a mystery, does Dave Roberts still have all 10 fingers after his Mother's Day gift to Trish? Wow. What a cliffhanger that is. We've got to tune in to hear that part, I guess. Episode 7, Off Air with Joe and Oral. Hit it, Frankie. So our guest last week, Walk, was uh, Justin Turner, and we asked him who would be most likely in these empty stadiums where you're going to be able to hear everything, who would be most likely to hear something that Oral and me say in the booth and get mad at it and shoot us a look 
and and mid game stop and look up at us and he said you do you want to defend yourself or are you going to agree with me? I'll take that. That doesn't bother me too much. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's not a bad call. I have uh, I was on a, a podcast last week, I think, and, you know, explained to them that one of my big worries about not having fans is is me saying stuff and everyone being able to hear it. So um, I, had, I had heard that you are, are going to overhear me predicting your next pitch. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that's that's probably a real possibility. There, it, it, I mean, it's a it's a funny deal, but it's a real. There's a real concern with it for me. I think. I was thinking. I was actually thinking that we might have to do the broadcast with glass in front of us, so you don't hear us, because we could end up being a slight distraction to the players on the field. That there might yeah, be a I request mean, from the players. At certain, at certain stadiums, I think it really could be a a thing. I think just with how big our stadium is and tall it is, I think we would probably be in better shape than some, but yeah, just depending on, I guess, the acoustics on down, <laughs> I mean, I think it could be a real thing. I'm also curious if they're going to play our, you know, the music and, right. and do all that kind of stuff. I think that's something that we all kind of use and, and thrive on. Obviously we use the crowd, but, um, a walk-up song could end up being a song that's just played throughout your at-bat. Right. It's, it's a really interesting, you know, how do they do it? I don't know. Uh, Justin even had you. He he brought up the Trevor Bauer thing, crow-hopping the ball over the center field fence. Justin had you crow-hopping a ball at us. <laughs> you know, get a ball back from the umpire straight up at me and Oral. I don't know if I would have ever thought of doing that, but yeah. I, I think he's kind of put it out into the world now. Yeah. Hey, so where did you learn to curse? To curse? Oh, yeah, because uh, you're good at it. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I wish I didn't as much as I, as I do. I used to tell everyone when I was a kid that I heard it all at my dad's softball games. That was my excuse. You know, they'd be mm-hmm. like, they'd say something be like, oh, sorry. And I'd be like, it's all right. I, I've heard that all at my dad's softball games. That was my... <laughs> That was my big thing. No, nobody in my family is like super foul mouths. Um, I don't know. I think I think a lot of the stuff that I do is based on that I've I've always been small, and so I've always tried to like not appear small or or you know get picked on. So I've always been a little little meaner than a lot of people or cuss more, do stuff like that. And I think it's just kind of something that that's part of me now. That was, that was something I was going to ask later is where does it all come from? And I guess you kind of uh, segued us to that right now, but the strut and the confidence and the cockiness or whatever you want to call it, does it come from that place of just physically being smaller most of your life? Um, yeah, I think, I think I faked that stuff for a long, long time. And then, um, you never really had a real reason to be that confident or be that, that arrogant. Then I got to college. Those guys kind of taught you how to work, taught you, you know, all right, this is real confidence. Everything else you've had, like the success you've had is great. It helps. But when you learn to work, learn to put in the time, do things like that, then you kind of gain real, real confidence. And, um, then the Tommy John happens and all that stuff. And you've got a year to just really put in time and effort. And, and I think after that, I, I came back and 
was a little bit more, you know, unflappably believing in myself all the time. And, and, you know, I think everyone's going to deal with, with not believing or not knowing that they're very good or, or things like that. I know certainly in the first month of the season last year was tough for me that way, where it just, I felt that it should have been easier. I remembered it being easier. I remembered it just being me doing it and it was all good. Right. You know, and then was bad for the first month and then just kind of figured it out and, and kind of earned that stuff back. I think. As you've gone through your growth as a pitcher, do you see like days or outings when a light bulb went on or do you feel like it's just kind of a slow maturation into the pitcher you are now and want to be as soon as we get started back up? You know, I think, I think during seasons, I'm really, really short term minded. I don't think much more than five days at a time. I think when I'm good, I just do what I did the last week. And when I'm bad, I try and fix the thing that I was worst at and move on. Um, I, I don't rewatch a lot of my outings. I don't rewatch a lot of stuff like that. I may now, or if I'm bored or something like that, but that's not like an active scouting thing that I do. So, um, you know, the only times I really will watch anything or pick anything apart is, if I've struggled for a little while, if I have two or three bad ones in a row, I may go and look at when I was really good and just look at the mechanic and see how close they are or or see if I can pick something out. I know in 2018, I struggled when I came off the DL and honey and I looked at it and because I had just been playing catch you know, and not pitching in games when I came off the DL with my ribs, my hands had started separating higher because when I played catch, my hands started higher than in my delivery. And I just had gotten used to my hands being up there all the time. And it threw off the timing in my delivery. And, and I felt that that was the reason I was throwing the ball poorly. And, and we worked on the next bullpen and, and I was kind of back. So that, that's the process for me. It's, it's very, you know, if one thing goes bad, I'm fine. If two or three things in a row, two or three outings are bad, then then I'm going to look. But, you know, I think I just kind of try and stick with what works and, and fix what didn't every five days. But at the same time, one of the things that I've admired about you is I've gotten to know you more. And this is a word that JT used last week, too, to as a trait that he thought was a positive one. But curiosity. You're a really curious guy, right? You're always trying to learn more. You're always trying to get more information. And it seems like it's always been the case with you. Yeah. You know what I think is interesting is everybody talks about this analytics and, and all the numbers that we have now. And, and I think, you know, we've always had velocity. I think that's been the one thing that's not a success metric or not a performance metric, just a normal metric that we've always had is velocity, right? But like when Oral played, like, they didn't, you don't have the base mark of your numbers. Right. And you could say, Oh, I feel terrible today. And the ball comes out really good and you're good. Right. Or you feel great in it and it's bad for us. I can genuinely go and look and say, listen, what I did today, I got a lot of, I got away with a lot or what I did today is exactly what I need to be doing. And I have baselines for my pitches of, not only velocity, but 
spin and spin efficiency and things like that that give me a clear picture of what I need everything to look like and also a clear picture of after an outing I can tell you oh no this is why it was bad like they really hit my fastball today oh because it wasn't as good not just it's one of those days you know so I think for me curiosity leads to actually being more structured if that makes sense I know exactly what I want my stuff to look like and feel like and be and by being curious and understanding all the different ways I can, you know, make a benchmark, then I actually have something true to go off of, which I think in our game is is relatively new. The uh, preparation that you put in, and then we get to the moment when you're going to make a pitch, and and you have an idea. Let's say you're you're facing a an intelligent hitter that knows what your patterns are, and you're a very intelligent pitcher, and you know what he likes and what his patterns are. Is there a point where you go, okay, it's time to change it up and be a mystery. It's time to, you know, just be different than what I normally am. Or is it strength against strength against those intelligent hitters? Yeah. You know, I think in, in kind of the hierarchy of what I want to do, I think it's my strength on their weakness is your number one. Then for me, like my weakness is the changeup, so I don't throw them. Like I never go weakness to anything. They mm-hmm. they have to be so horrible on changeup for me to even think about throwing it. I bet there's, I bet there's one guy every two games that I'm even tell our catchers like, hey, like I'm thinking about throwing changeups to this guy, and that would be like two of them, right? So for me, it's strength on weakness, strength on strength, and then that the next kind of third option for me is is all right, let's do something different. And that's when I'll, you know, kind of pause on my, on my delivery a little bit or try and throw a, you know, a a slider grip that I don't throw all the time or or things like that. And just try and create different spins and things like that. that confuse because I don't know if people really understand how good these guys are hitting um, and what they can see compared to what, you know, I think, Joe, if you stood in and, and saw a fastball and saw a cutter, you you wouldn't probably know the difference. Right. But some of these hitters can tell you it that it's a cutter four feet out of the hand. So if you can, if you, if your strength versus their weakness isn't working, if your strength versus their strength isn't working, trying to do something that neither of you has seen or done from each other, I think is is kind of my third option. I know against Machado last year, you know, he hit me pretty good or saw me pretty good or got some good swings off. And I think it was the game at home. I struck him on the ninth inning on like a overhang slider. And he told me after the game, he's like, if that would have moved like it should have, I would have killed it. <laughs> and it's just, that was one that I tried to throw directly sideways instead of down got under it and it just spun the right way and he swung and missed, but it was just something different. They have so many resources as do we to scout us and they've seen it and they know what it does. And, and they're so adjusted, you know, they can adjust so quickly that if you do something a little bit different, sometimes with the, with the elite guys, that that's one of the best things you can do. Do you have a photographic memory to where you can go back and picture every single pitch, like the one you just referenced to Machado? 
No, you know, I think for me, when I'm when I'm really good, I I don't remember much of it. I don't know if that's how it was for you, Oral, but I didn't. Re- yeah, I didn't remember much either. I, but I, you know, when I did remember it, is when the guy stepped in the box. It kind of was a stimulus to recall a whole bunch of at bats against him. Huh. Yeah, I, you know, I remember certain stuff. You know, I think for for guys that we play a lot. Like the team that I remember the most stuff about is is Colorado, just because I've pitched against them. It feels like thirty times already. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it, it's an interesting deal because I don't have to scout them as much, and I'm I've kind of moved from scouting them to scouting them against me, just because a lot of their main guys have so many at bats. Um, which I think is an interesting deal. Like I, I don't. Yeah, you know, I've talked to Kirsch about how he scouts and stuff, but he's just got, you know, all those guys have so many at-bats against him that I think it's it's hard to continually re-scout them that way. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, for me, with, with remembering, I'll remember two or three big pitches in a game. Um, like, I, I don't really – I couldn't tell you – I struck this guy out on this in last year's playoffs, probably at all. Well, you're moving. See, you're moving. This is this is one level of baseball that turns out to be a relationship, and that's what Clayton has. He has a relationship with the league, and you're moving from just you know strength against strength, college pitcher, early early big league career pitcher to developing relationships against some of these guys because you're going to face them so often for the next ten years and. I think that's what the transition you're going through mentally on the prep. Yeah. And I think it, it also gets interesting. Uh, you know, early on in your career, it's, it's only your teammates from college that it, you get this weird relationship with where, you know, them and are facing them. But, you know, like the all-star game this year, I went on a trip with Nike and you you're around these guys. It, it's weird to get to know hitters. Like I would prefer not to know them at all. It just, it can put that little tiny bit of fear of losing one and, and hitting the guy in the head. If you don't know the guy at all, like you don't feel good about hitting a guy in the head or hitting him in a bad spot, but especially guys that, you know, you don't, I think it's natural that you don't and learning how to overcome that, I, I think is a big thing for me, especially having this year gotten to know so many of those guys. What do you think of some of the stuff just shifting gears a little bit here, walk that uh, has leaked out about the safety? protocols um no handshakes no sunflower seeds don't shower at the stadium uh what, what stands out to you about all that we're hearing you know it's it was a really really dense dense piece of reading that mm. that proposal um <laughs> you know you read, I, it? you read the whole thing um i skimmed it and then kind of there was some i think on the athletic they had like kind of a synopsis kind of thing of it mm-hmm. but you know i it is what it is at this point. I think we're all just trying to, to figure it out. Um, and I think this, this whole thing is tough for, for everyone because some people are going to overreact. Some people are going to underreact. Some people are going to act just right. And I'm talking in, in the whole world, right? Some people are deathly scared of this thing. And some people wouldn't put a mask on if, if you gave a million dollars. And and I think finding that middle ground is, is going to be tough. And, and obviously I think, people in charge are going to try and tend to be a little more cautious as opposed to a little more cavalier about it. But 
you know, I'm just interested to see, you know, if and when we get back in there, what it really looks like, how it really feels, how we all decide to interact. If some teams are really, really cautious and some aren't, how does that work? All that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I'm not the commissioner, I'm not, you know, head of, head of this whole thing. And, and I think that kind of whatever they do, we're going to have to figure out how to live with. And, um, we're just, I'm more excited to, to try and play than I am anything, any, you know, anything worried or worried about it. What is it that you miss the most? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the stuff that, that they're going to prohibit is going to be one of the biggest things being in the clubhouse and acting like you normally do. And I mean, I, I think it's hard to explain to, to people, obviously, you know, people work a, a job and they're around their coworkers all the time, but we, you know, we're at the field at one to ten thirty or eleven every day with the same group of guys. Do a lot of stuff in the clubhouse together, eat, get worked on, talk, sit in the dugout, watch each other fail, watch each other succeed. I think you become so like intertwined with with those guys during a season that you know, I think that's probably the biggest thing I miss is just that constant twenty-five guys worth of entertainment and conversations and, and things like that, that I don't know if you can really recreate anywhere else. It's interesting. I get, we, we got right into the baseball stuff, um, right away here, but I want to hear how you're doing. Like, are, are you hanging in? Okay. Are you going insane? What are you doing? Are you cooking? Are you reading? Are you watching shows? Yeah. You know, kind of all the above. I think everyone is, we built a, uh, built a big deck on the back of the house. So that was a, that was a fun little project. And then running through some shows, I wrapped up Yellowstone, which was a new favorite of ours and started a, it's a little creepy signing. I started a a book on Charles Manson called Chaos, which I'm kind of deep into right now. You a big reader? No, I, I can be, I can get like in these really weird, like two, three day, I don't want to say slumps, but like get really deep into something for two or three days and, and then forget mm-hmm. about it. But, um, you know, I end up reading mostly on the flights on like non-team flights. That's when I usually read the most, but kind of, I don't read anything super deep, mostly just biographies of about sports people, but. And serial killers. Yeah, this one's a little different. I, I heard it on heard about it on a podcast. I forget which one. I listen to like the Joe Rogan podcast and uh-huh. Brian Callens and all that kind of stuff, that kind of group and um heard about it on there and, and just kinda of grabbed it and yeah, I started it two days ago. I'm like two thirds of the way through it. So how long is it? I get intimidated when books are too long. Exactly. This one's not bad. And I don't really have a, a grasp of it anymore. I read on my phone, so it's like a thousand iPhone pages long, you know, so I don't, that could be 25 <laughs> pages. I don't know. How's engagement life been? It's good. Not, not too different. We, you know, we've been together a long time, so. Almost 10 years, right? Yeah. I think we were sophomores in high school maybe 11. Now. I don't even, I don't even know anymore, <laughs> but yeah, we, you know, this has given us some time to, to be, you know, newly engaged and, and spend a lot of time together. So that's been good, but. Just trying to figure out, you know, some sort of wedding details so that when we get going, Mackenzie can kind of start looking around and figuring some stuff out. But I don't think, Do you have it, a date? I don't think we'll, yeah, we'll, it'll probably be December of 2021. 
So okay. we're going to give ourselves some time. Uh, one other thing, you mentioned building a deck. Did you build the deck yourself? Like you had the hammer and the nails? and Yeah, Mackenzie's brothers and I did it. So we, we got after it. We built one at our house. And then wow. the next weekend built one at one of the brothers. And the next weekend built it at another brother. So we did three in, in a month. You, you were you working the power guy? tools. I don't yeah, I was the nail gun guy. I've done I've oh done pretty boy. good with the nail gun. <laughs> I did not do any of that stuff during my career. <laughs> Stayed away from that stuff. It's probably in your contract that you can't. I don't know about a nail gun. Probably. No hang gliding, no pickup basketball, no, uh, you know, there's a lot of that paragraph of all the sports you're not allowed to play. Yeah, it makes your life sad if you actually, you know, if you read it, it kind of ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, just don't do it. And then if you happen to do something in it, you can just plead innocence. Like you you right. plead ignorance. You didn't know. I didn't know I couldn't use a nail gun. Yeah. Um, We're going to do some rapid fire. The, the answer to all these rapid fire questions is just going to be one of your teammates. Okay. All right. You get to pick one teammate to ride shotgun with into the toughest, most dangerous neighborhood in town. Ooh. Ty Barnes, Joe Kelly. Okay. Hmm. Who's the teammate that you would most likely have dog sit your pet? I don't know. I think with our specific dog, we'd probably say the Muncies. They have a French bulldog about the same age as ours. That may have been a little overthought of an answer, but that would be my answer. (laughs) I think we need to make our rapid fire less difficult because we make it really hard on guys to actually do it rapidly. Uh, which teammate would you trust most to plan your upcoming wedding? Ooh, Jock. What? Well, that includes Kelsey. Okay. And apparently their wedding was you know, very, very well done. Uh, wasn't John Legend there? That, that's the word. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you, the- you hire him as your uh, planner. Maybe you get John Legend out of it. Yeah, they may they may run through too much of of my bank account too. So that that's kind of a risky answer. Okay, all right. Which teammate talks the most on the bench? Um, again, I'd say Jock probably. Jock what does he talk he, about? Yeah, Jock's a lot, man. Jock Jock gets after it in a, in a lot of different areas. I think he's a he's a very popular teammate. So. Yeah, and it's also hard because Jock actually, you know, with with his kind of playing time and, and how much he plays, he does spend a, a decent amount of time with us on the bench. So it's hard to say, you know, Seeger or Belly who play right. basically every day. And then uh, lastly, who is the last man standing in a Dodger cage match? Can I go retired? Recently retired sure. players? Be, yeah. I'd, I'd take David Freeze. Wow. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yep. And then if we're talking non-retired, still non-Dodger, Russell Martin would be in that conversation. Okay. Um, those, would, those would probably be the, the two. We had somebody answer Pedro. Uh, Belly answered Pedro Baez. Baez would be a tough guy to, to really do anything physically. That's a, that's a big, strong fellow. Mm-hmm. They said especially if you injected a little anger into him. It might yeah, be. I don't know if I've ever even seen it. Really, Pedro is about as—he's about as level-headed as as we have around there. But 
yeah, there there aren't many people built like Pedro Baez. It's good to talk to you, Walk. What what do you think? Are we going to get this thing going soon? That's the goal. You know, I know we got there's a lot to lot to work through and, and figure out, and you know that stuff's kind of above my pay grade. But you know, we're trying to trying to get ready, and hopefully, we can get it done. How are you timing up your workouts? Last question. We'll let you go. How are you timing them up right now? Yeah, you know, I've been off the mound and, and things like that. And, you know, we have a decent amount of guys around here. Trevor Gott, who plays for the Giants, is around. Um, we got a few minor league guys around. So we're all kind of kind of going at the same pace, I guess, and, and throwing together at least. And, um, you know, we faced hitters last week for the first time, which was kind of fun. And, uh we have former Philly Ben Revere was out there hitting off of us, which was kind of cool. So, you know, there's some, there's some guys around, but we're just kind of, you know, I think like everyone else just, you know, working out more in in hopes of anything than, than any true, this is it. But, you know, I think once we know, or once we figure it out, I think it'd be a little easier to truly get on a full five day and and get ready. We'll let you get back to that Charles Manson book now, Walker. (laughs) I appreciate it, guys. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on, Bell. All right. We are joined, as always, by the skipper, Doc, that started off with the best thing you saw this week. Uh, the best thing I saw this week um, was 100 oysters at my front door. Um, so the backstory is Tricia, my wife, loves oysters. So what I did is I got on the computer and there was a kind of a, a belated Mother's Day deal. So uh looked up a, a place in, in, in uh, the Northeast, sent them overnight, and 100 oysters were at my doorstep and it was like Christmas morning for me. And I had the pleasure, boys, of uh, shucking 100 oysters on a friend who lives on the beach so went to his uh, balcony and saw the sunset. So that was kind of my Mother's Day gift to my wife. So I'm kind of bragging on myself a little bit. But the oysters to your question, Joe. Wow. It sounds like not just a Mother's Day gift to your wife, but kind of like a Mother's Day gift to yourself. <laughs> right? <laughs> you no, know? it, it's, uh, and I had her make the, make the, uh, the sauce, uh, that little, uh, what's that sauce called that you, uh, you know, that vinaigrette sauce that you mm-hmm. use. Uh, and, um, but yeah, we it was great. The gift that kept on giving. Did you have champagne with it? Oysters and oh, champagne. Oh, what a question. Of course we did, or you know me very well. So we had champagne, but I'll tell you, I've never shucked an oyster. And I will say this is that you pay a premium when you go into a restaurant for oysters, you know, that half dozen yeah. dozen oysters. But it is a little kind of uh, time consuming and it, it takes a lot of effort. So I got a little knife, to the shucker and kind of going through it. So you still have your it, fingers? I, you know what? There was a couple times I could have lost a finger, but uh, I, I still have my fingers intact. Wouldn't that be something? You show back up to the second spring training, and uh, so what's new, Doc? Well, I have nine fingers now. I, you know, right, right. Lost one during That's a little time. bit better than like uh, the excuse of my dog ate my homework. So if I <laughs> right. Yeah, you still never heard that one, but that's. Were you better on the seventy fifth oyster than you were on the first and the second? So certainly better on the. I got my peak was right around 50, 55. And then I started to get, it started to be a little arduous. And so, um, but I got the hang of it though. It's, it was pretty impressive. Started to fade after a while. And that's only understandable. Oral, what was the best thing you saw this week? You know, it's really weird because Doc is oysters 
and mine was sushi. We actually went out and went to a sushi restaurant that was open. We weren't allowed at the sushi bar, but we were allowed at the table. And I ordered sashimi. I got yellowtail jalapeno. I got a nice baked roll. And it was like amazing. It was like real life. And because of the social distancing and being six to 10 feet apart of the other parties there, it feels like you're in this exclusive restaurant now when you go out. So it was like, wow, this is a date. We're having a date and I'm having sushi. And I haven't had sushi for three months. So that's a pretty important part of my diet as far as watching my girlish figure. Yeah. <laughs> Which you need to balance out at this point with all the big green egging you're doing. Doc, I mean, exactly. this guy is sending me video of him doing pizza or brisket or pork shoulder just about every day. Is that right? So yeah, yeah. Our, our show right now has got to kind of uh, dovetail off your cooking show and I want, I'm not getting the recipe. So I guess I got to invest in a, you know, in a green egg first though, right Oral? Yeah. And you know what? I'm getting a lot of results on the Traeger. Is it Joe? What, what's the other Traeger's like cheating. It's too It easy. is cheating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Don't do the Traeger. They got these apps and they got three stations in it and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Doc's like rolling his eyes like, what are they talking about? <laughs> no, you know what? No, it's, uh, I'm not actually. I'm actually more intrigued because it's funny as I was talking uh, to, to our family the other day. And, you know, early on, my, my kids were doing things. Uh, they had this kind of maze thing that they, the golf ball or the ping pong ball, whatever it was, kind of going up books and knocking things down. And we were doing puzzles. Uh, we were doing all these things. And now um, it's funny is that you start doing things that you normally wouldn't. And so I like the idea now of, of getting into something else. So I'm kind of past the binging on, on the shows. And so cooking might be that thing I got to kind of tackle go because a little bit, we, we uh, did a little purging too. So we did the garage and some other things, but I think I got to get away from that to get to some cooking. Well, hopefully, and I guess this leads us to my best thing I saw this week. Hopefully you don't have too much more time to fill at home. Mm -hmm. uh, best thing I saw this week was governor Newsom saying that he is open to pro sports being played in California stadiums beginning in June, which obviously would line it up for early July when baseball is beginning to talk about uh, starting their season. So it really finally feels like, guys, and, and Doc, you tell me if you feel the same way, like some true progress, some true momentum towards getting the 2020 season going. I, I agree, and that is certainly something at the top of the list as far as being encouraged about, and even, you know, Mayor Garcetti just kind of really shedding some light as far as the social distancing being shut down, you know, through July and kind of backing off that and really giving us some clarity. So, yeah, when you see other sports opening up, I think it gives us all hope. And, you know, I'm kind of in the world of one day you feel great and optimistic, then the next day you, you turn on the news and you read the paper and then you're more of kind of uncertain. So that certainly uh, with what Ga uh, Governor Newsom said, I think is encouraging for all of us. I think it brought a lot of smiles to a lot of people and in talking to players and talking to some agents and talking to other reporters, uh, had a nice conversation with Buster only this morning. Uh, there's a lot more optimism, not only just what's coming out of the political arena, but I think from all the different facets of baseball, people are feeling more and more positive. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's interesting is, is we almost at times, you know, you get into that space of you feel guilty for wanting to go out to sushi or to want sports back and want to be playing baseball. But I think that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to 
you know, get past that feeling of guilt and feeling like we still appreciate what's going on, but I still think it's okay to be excited about, you know, like you said, going to dinner with your wife or, you know, going to the ballpark, albeit with no fans, but competing again. Yeah. I think that one of the, maybe the main silver lining out of this whole thing that we're experiencing across the world is going to be a a renewed appreciation for everything, for something as simple as going to the grocery store without a mask on eventually, or being able to go to a restaurant and sit with friends, those things that we obviously enjoy and appreciate. It seems like all those things we're going to have that much more appreciation for now that we've experienced life without it. No, no doubt. And I think that even, you know, it's something that I think that, you know, we were talking uh, offline about there's some rules that are going to be in place and, and, you know, Major League Baseball get presented this to the union or to, to the union and they kind of liked it and all. And it's kind of the spirit of players, coaches, everyone's going to have to adjust. And it's not ideal. It's going to be uncomfortable. But I do think, to your point, Joe, is as we show that we can be much more nimble than we've ever wanted to be or had to be, I think going forward, it's going to be good for all of us. You mentioned the the document that the Major League Baseball gave to the Players Union, 67-page document on um, laying out basically how this would work health-wise, safety-wise. We've talked about what this would look like and be like for the players with nobody in the stands and all the different things that are going to be going on, what that experience is going to be like. Have you started to think for you, Doc, as, as you're seeing little pieces of this document and you're getting more and more information on what the season may look like, have you thought about how different it's going to be for you to manage a game and to manage a team day to day? So I, I haven't, uh, truth be told, boys, I haven't looked at it. I saw that it was 67 page and I was like, ah, I'd rather go shuck some oysters um, <laughs> instead of start to kind of dig on that document. So I kind of delegated uh, <laughs> to some coaches and some trainers to kind of uh, go through it. And then we're going to do a Zoom call and they're going to give me the bullet points. Um, but I, you know, hearing like there's no spitting and, you know, there's no warming up down below for bench guys to, to hit, um, kind of some pitchers that aren't starting are going to be in, in the, in the stands. So I, I don't know if I'm even accurate, Joe, you can you're probably close. shed a little bit yeah, more light. You're there. You're there. Did, uh, was uh, one of the coaches, Bob Guerin? <laughs> Actually, Bob is in the, in the thread. Yes, absolutely. And Bob's going to tackle that. Yeah, exactly. Bob no one has knows a 67 page doc memorized. That, that's <laughs> right. That's exactly right. I don't know where I'd be without him, but I, I think it's one of those things that until I really get clarity on, on what we're dealing with. But I'll tell you, this is that I am guilty of spitting. And I think a lot of it is nerves, you know, and guys mm-hmm. kind of, you do it unconsciously. Um, it's going to be interesting because your mask is going to get really wet because you have I was going to say, that's the right other now. thing. You're not going to have the temptation to spit because you are going to have a mask on, it sounds like. Managers. So, so that's, that, that's what I hear, too. And, you know, Cody, Corey, somebody, Clayton throws up a zero, you know, for me to pat him on the side, on the, on the, on the backside. Um, to not be able to do that, that's something that is just what I do. And yeah. I just like, I'm a positive guy. So it'll be interesting. Hopefully they don't have to find me. Uh, you know, I hope I don't, I'm, I've been known to be a repeat offender, so hopefully, uh, it's not going to be too costly. Good thing. You got a strong booming voice. It can cut through the mask. You know, it's not going to be like, we can't hear (laughs) you. Where did you get that from? Did your dad have a big voice? Um, you know what? He was kind of, uh, EF Hutton, uh, didn't speak loudly. Um, but when he did speak, everyone listened. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I heard that booming voice, unfortunately, at times when I was younger. And that booming voice came uh, right uh, in front of a belt, a big black belt. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, my, my dad was great. And I think he was one of the, those things that my parents always wanted me to articulate. And mm. so, so I don't know where the, the, the voice or the depth came from, but yeah. Other than the volume, when did you know you were in trouble? Was there a different name he called you by? Did he use your middle name? Did, you know, was there something? So you know what it is, is that it's one of those things, when you, you know, when you're a young guy and young kid and mischievous and you're into stuff, it's never with your dad around. Yeah. So, and I'll speak for myself. My dad was at work. So I knew when I was in trouble, when my mom would say David Ray, and she would tell me to go to my room and me as a guy that's always trying to play hard with my mom, didn't always listen, but she said, you wait till your dad gets home. Oh, yeah. Then I knew I was in trouble. So that was it, Oral. Yeah. And, and I do remember a belt in our family. That was, yeah, that, <laughs> that was the that whacker, anymore. but my dad was a traveling salesman. Yep. So, you know, he'd be gone for two, three days to go off to New York or go off to wherever to sell and then come back home. And, and it was, we did hear the wait till your father gets home. And we got much better food when dad got home. We ate a lot of macaroni and cheese and hamburger helper when he was on the road. But we get home, he gets home and we, get, we got to have steak, got to have like burgers on the grill. We had real food. It's nice to have That's dad home. That's great. I, I love that. And, I, and did your parents make you stay at the, at the dinner table until you finish oh, your vegetables? Yes. And I had peas around the outside, you know, hidden on the <laughs> other. And then you lift the plate up to go clear it and you see the circle of peas. Or I hate it and still to this day hate lima beans. And my mother loved liver. And so we only had to eat liver when we went to grandma's house because grandma knew that mom loved liver and knew the kids wouldn't have her cook it at home. So they started calling it grandma's steak. And we hated to go to grandma's house to have grandma's steak. Oh, man. I fell for that that grandma's steak. The liver liver is is steak. No, No, my mom pawned it off as steak. And she's like, Oh man, this is steak. And my sister and I bought on that many times over. And until you put it in your mouth and you get the texture. Oh gosh. I think when we finish this uh, recording, I need to call my parents and thank them for never bringing out the belt or the liver. I feel very blessed now after hearing there you go. stories. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Doc, uh, one thing we know for sure about the season is that it's not going to be 162 games, not going to be anything like we've ever seen. Would winning the World Series, and I know that like the answer is yes, 100%, right? When, when you're When you're trying to answer it correctly, but would winning the World Series bring the same kind of satisfaction? I, I think it would, and and the reason I say this, and I think that that's that's a really good topic, and I think that it's starting to gain a little bit of traction. Um, I think you know with what we've gone through as a country, as a world, and I think that at the end of at the finish line, you know whatever team is holding that trophy, um, there's going to be a a sense of uh, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of uh, emotion. Um, I, th- I think that we're going to look back at 20 and obviously you look right now and we're in it. There's so much that has happened and lives and life's changed, lives lost. And I just think that guys having whatever season we have and to keep people focused together, engaged, doing something that we've never done before, as far as we talked about the rules and things and um, parameters and to ultimately be the last team standing. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And you can almost argue that it's harder than something we've known. And spring training starts in February. We do it like we've always done it. It's a grind. And then the, there's a team standing at the end. So I don't know. 
I don't think you're you're saying that it's going to be of greater significance than any other year or any other World Series, but it's definitely going to be more memorable because of what's leading up to it. You know, there's there's a significance of the first games after 9/11. There's going to be a significance to the first champion when baseball then rises from the ashes. And so, yeah, I think I think you're right, Doc. I think there's going to be such an emotional high of even just getting to the World Series after everybody is all penned up with all these emotions and whether someone lost someone in their family and they're now not there watching the game with them or whether they've all made it through and they got baseball back and the Dodgers are in the World Series. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, Earl. Very well said. And I think that if you look at potentially, obviously people aren't going to be in the stands, fans aren't going to be in the stands, but you know, you're going to look at ratings and, and people, you know, we can get this thing going. You know, we're going to be in everyone's home every single night and baseball is going to be the only show going. So it's going to be fun. And I think a lot, a lot of sports fans are going to be even more invested than they had been in, in years past. Doesn't it seem like this is an opportunity for baseball to not just get back and play and appease baseball fans, but to capture a huge chunk of the world that maybe aren't baseball fans or are lukewarm. Like if, if I'm a, uh, just a sport fan in general, I don't care what it is. Bring it. Like, bring it. I want to see it. So a chance to capture so many more fans. Uh, absolutely. No doubt. And I think that this you know, gives us an opportunity as, a, as an industry, but also I think it's a challenge that we have to be creative. And, and baseball and, and you, us three, we talk about it's tradition and what we love about baseball is a tradi- tradition, but what we don't like is some of is a tradition because it kind of keeps us stagnant. So, and I say opportunities is make it more fun. And how can we think from the lens of somebody, a family of four in their house watching the Dodgers and we want to keep them engaged for three hours. How can we do that as an industry? Do you like the expanded postseason idea? Not just for this season, but do you like it for moving forward? I do. I, I, I like it. For this season, okay. certainly, because of the, the small sample. Um, as far as going forward, I, I kind of like it the way it is, but I, but I get it. I was talking to Steve Kerr the other day, and um, he was talking about basketball in the sense of how they have more playoff teams than we do in baseball. And he actually likes it that way, and I guess I, I'm open to it, and I guess we'll see how it looks kind of this year. I think the, there's a subtle to having an expanded playoff this year because that kind of opens and lengthens the season. Even though the season is not going to be the full 162, because you expand the playoffs and who reaches it, it covers some people that get off to slow starts. It covers some people that have a key injury that all of a sudden they drop out of first place or out of the wild card in the old format. And now all of a sudden they're still in because that kind of gives you a little bit more length of the season when you grab a few more teams. No doubt. And, and that's the thing is that you're talking about, you know, 81 games, whatever the number is, it's obviously going to be abbreviated. You lose a key player, let alone a starting pitcher. That's, you know, 20% of your rotation. And the, that two months of a season that you might lose, that's the exactly essentially the season. So you can't recover. So to open up the playoff format certainly is responsible. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the Dodgers over the last year's you know, where we started a few years ago, we wouldn't have made the playoffs if we wouldn't have had a big push or you lose Clayton or somebody. Well, you did for an it one time. You had 60 or and 80% did. of your rotation. You had Ryu, Rich Hill, and Clayton Kershaw, I think, and maybe somebody else out. 
at one right, time. Right, right. And, and, you know, that's right. And then I think that, you know, a couple of years ago, we lost Justin in, in the first month of the season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've lost Corey at different times. If it just doesn't sync up this year, it could really change the outcome of, of 2020. Yeah, think about, uh, you mentioned Turner two years ago. Dodgers started 16 and 26 without him. In, in 2020, that's half the season. Yeah, that's right. that's how that's forty two games in, and boy, you got just a little more than a month to go in that case. So it's and, that, and that's why it's like, um, you know, for us making sure our players really understand the gravity of the situation that it's going to be different when we get back. It's going to be quick as far as spring training, um, and they have to take it upon themselves to do whatever they can possible to be ready and. One of the things I've talked to the trainers and the coaches already about is, you know, every player that we talk to, get them in their cleats and start, you know, as you start kind of hitting in the cage and throwing with your throwing partner or whatever you're doing, get in your spike. So when you start jogging, getting on the field, doing your PFP, so you don't get the shin splints because you can mess up your back if you're not used to it. So we don't have that time to kind of ease into spring training or into this season. People don't understand what getting in your cleats is a huge, huge deal. Because that just what your feet do and what you're feeling. Well, you're the aches and pains. I can feel them right now, Doc. Just thinking about putting my <laughs> cleats on. Holy! How smokes. long does that take? How long does it take before uh, it doesn't hurt you to wear cleats? I'm sure it's different for everyday players compared to pitchers. But uh, for pitchers, um, we did a lot of running, and then we would take our cleats off. You do your drills, you do your PFPs, you do your stretching in the morning. Maybe you do some of the loosening up of the jogging, and then. For shagging and for doing your cardio, get those cleats off. But boy, the first two weeks of spring training, and if we're talking spring training is going to be only three weeks, Doc, they better get the cleats on. They better get the early stiffness out because they're only going to have one week where their body actually feels like it's alive and ready to go if they have those two weeks of soreness. Yeah, and and I think that, and again, this is all under the the pretense that we we are going to have baseball in spring training. And you know, one of the things that we're trying to talk about as a staff is trying to simulate playing games because the at-bats, pitcher to hitter, hitter to pitcher, getting those game situations because we're not going to get a full slate of spring training. So we need to figure out a way to kind of simulate as much as we can. So the inter-squad situation and how that might look, um, you know, it's not the PFPs, you get hot, then you're done for the day, you go work out. It's a lot of it's going to be standing around and training your body to stand up, you know, for you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes and go sit down and be in the dugout to then go out and do it again. Cause that kind of, that's baseball training. Uh, for the top four this week, guys, um, we're not going to do top four worst foods as kids, even though I feel like we got halfway there talking about the, the liver and all that. Maybe we'd save that for another week. We're going to do top four comedy movies. I figured this would be a good one to do while we still have at least a little more time at home. Doc, what are your top four comedies? Oh man, this was a fun one, yeah. and um, I, 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 I had I could have easily made it a top ten, you know, a Letterman top ten. This this was really fun for me. Um, number four for me was um, Honeymoon in Vegas, um, Nicolas Cage, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. It, I mean, it, this movie was hilarious, and it just never stopped. I was belly laughing and. <laughs> So that was just a, that's a great, that's well-written and um, it was great. Number three for me is Coming to America. Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, and Eddie 
doing a bunch of different characters, Arsenio, them in the barbershop, um, you know, Eddie, it's just, that's just uh, one I just can't get enough. I can watch that uh, anytime it's on. Um, number three for me um, is Friday. Mm. Chris Tucker and Ice Cube, these guys are in Compton in the inner city in Los Angeles and doing their thing. Yeah, I mean, it is funny. There's a scene where I forgot the, the uh, actor's name. He just passed away, I think, last year, but he was in the bathroom and he was Ice Cube or Chris Tucker's father or Ice Cube's father. And the father brought him into the bathroom. Too much information, but man, that's just funny <laughs> and have you laughing all the time. And I think the classic of classics for me, Chevy Chase and Fletch. Oh, yeah. Six foot, six, so, six with the afro. With six foot, yeah, exactly. <laughs> six foot, six, whatever with the afro. And he was a Laker fan. And it's just so witty and clever. And the comedic timing is just genius. So that's something that'll last uh, generations. So those are all a little bit older. Do you have a favorite off the top of your head, more current, you know, last 10, 12 years? Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Um, you know, Step Brothers is one that yeah, I, I have not seen yet. Will Farrell is a good buddy of mine, and I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. But everyone I talk to, and you guys might know more if you've seen it, but I need to see Step Brothers. Okay. And then we need to get Will Farrell on the show if he's your guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll get him on the show for All sure. Right. Sweet. Doc, always good to talk to you. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. Peace, Skip. So we got Doc's top four. We're going to start our last segment of the show this week with our top four. Top four comedies. What is number four for you, Oral? Well, I have 11 on my list because when we did Doc, I was afraid we might have some overlap, but I think we're going to end up with 12 with no overlap between the three of us. So, Yeah, I don't think you and I are going to overlap. No, I'm going to yeah. go... With my number four is Back to the Future. Okay. Do you even know that what Back to the yeah. Future is and the vehicle and the whole thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just thought um, the professor was amazing. No, no, that's great. I just th that didn't. Sh and I guess it shows how naive and young I am. But that doesn't come to my mind right away as a comedy. Is that is it strictly like it's definitely a comedy? Definitely a comedy. Definitely, okay. though, a little deeper, you know, sci-fi comedy. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, my number four is The Hangover. Okay. And I, I'm the same way as you, where I had like four or five that could have gone in that number four slot, and I decided to go with that. We had uh, Ken Jeong on with us on the, uh, on the Zoom call, the Zoom party, Dodger Zoom party a, a few days ago. Uh, that was really cool. That was that was one of his breakout performances, I think. Yeah, that that's a that's a really funny movie. I'm seeing a lot of the parts in my head right yeah. now. With taking yeah. the it wouldn't serve him any more wine, and he takes the spittoon and he's like pouring <laughs> it over his whole face. It's so good. Yeah, I'm glad it relates to wine. That's good. I like that. Yeah. What's your third? My number three is you know what I'm doing. I'm looking at my list and seeing what just grabs me because they all could make my top four, and I'm gonna go baseball movie on you. Bull Durham. Okay. I'm going solid. Bull Durham. So, solid. you know, it's a solid comedy, especially with the baseball background. My number three, I'm going to guess you've never seen. Okay. Super bad. I've seen commercials. I'm not sure I've seen the whole thing. With McLovin. Okay. And I was told, somebody told me last night that Super bad is roughly 
based off of like Pasadena Glendale. Like oh, really? Set there. I don't know if they actually say it in the movie, but um, yeah, it's supposed to be. That's really good. Well, in my generation, my number two, I mean, I've got, you know, I was looking at different artists, even like Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy and, you know, uh, Robin Williams. And so yeah. if I have to like include different artists of, of really, I want to get a wide selection. I got to mm-hmm. go with good morning Vietnam with Robin Williams. Okay. Yes. I've never it's seen just it. Really, really funny. And he's just, he's such, was such a genius. Um, a war comedy movie that didn't make my list, but was kind of in my honorable mention and up for that number four spot. Tropic Thunder. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't make the list, but same idea. My number two, Happy Gilmore. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're getting a little bit more slapstick. <laughs> yeah. What's your number one? Number one, I it's, are you it's, deciding this right now, or do you no, know? Well, for number sure one, what I've number had one I've had number one uh, the whole time, and it's okay. because. When we were in double-A baseball, they bought us a great bus. And on the bus, we actually had television monitors about every five rows, and we had a VCR. So we had these long bus trips from San Antonio to Tulsa or wherever we were going all over the whole Texas league. And the movie that got watched the most on that bus that we could quote verbatim was Caddyshack. Okay. So Caddyshack had to be number one because it's the one I've seen the most, the most often. I've heard Steve Sachs and Mike Marshall and all my teammates back uh, in the day, you know, just quote it all day long during batting practice, during, you know, any time during a game, there was a Caddyshack line coming. You you quote it uh, relatively frequently on our broadcast now, on our Dodger broadcast. Uh, there's, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, there are references. Um and that I think that there were like a couple golden ages of comedy movies. That would be one of them. Mm-hmm. And then the other one would be what ten years ago, you know, anywhere from say two thousand five through two thousand, maybe like two thousand to two thousand ten. And my number one comes from that time. It's Wedding Crashers. Oh, for sure. That's that movie is awesome. That's what awesome. else is on your list? I, you know, you oh my gosh, if I ran down the list, uh, the Steve Martin yeah, movie just... I put down, All of Me. I don't remember if you remember that with Lily Tomlin and they can switch personalities. Uh, Stripes, a Bill Murray military movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, surprise party you shouldn't have as he gets off the plane. Uh, Trading Places was on there. Blues Brothers. And then okay. uh, an all-time favorite that's kind of a classic is uh, Airplane. Where mm-hmm. uh, So... And you had some sports stars that were actually in that too. Uh, a couple other that didn't make the cut, but I considered Meet the Parents. Yeah. Um, Cir- is that the else. Circle of Trust? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jinxy. Yeah. You had the, like, the CIA room where he had the whole listening, yeah. spying stuff. And then you got Meet the Fockers. Yes. That's good too. <laughs> I, I think of Meet the Parents when he spikes the spikes the volleyball in their face when they're playing pool volleyball yeah yeah for sure he says he says yeah uh not i'm not gonna say the the swear word the d word dang it fucker (laughs) (laughs) you know it's a good comedy when you only have to tell your friend the title and you start laughing yeah yeah uh 40 year old virgin is another really good one knocked up yep uh i love you man they're a bunch. So good. So many good movies. We can go watch some of these because we ain't got anything else going on these days. Hopefully we're going to have a little more coming up. What was the uh, one that you said that I haven't seen? 
that I got to, I'm going to, it's like a must watch. Super bad? Super bad. I'll watch that tonight. You and Dana would die laughing. Dana would love it. So watch Super Bad. That's your homework for the week. And we'll talk about it next week. Uh, Mailbag this week, we got an email from Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan wants to know, and I actually haven't put a ton of thought into this, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Great. Who is our dream podcast guest? Wow. That's a, I mean, somebody who I think we're going to get and I love talking to, but don't get to talk to him enough. Sandy Koufax for me. I would love, you know, I'd love him. And I think he's reachable for sure because I do talk to him on the yeah. phone, but Sandy's a very private and, but it, that would be very interesting to, to have Sandy on. I think the I fans agree. would love it. You're kind of putting yourself on the spot by announcing publicly that you think well, I can. I'm going to make the call and I know he's going to answer. <laughs> I'm putting okay. him on the spot to actually come on. Yeah, right. It actually <laughs> does put him on the spot a little bit. Ah, uh, man. How about I mean, you? Will Ferrell would be cool. Like Dave, Dave yeah. just mentioned, um, being a Will Ferrell guy. Would you go, Anybody would you go ever. announcer? Would you go like Al Michaels? Would you ever would go like there? That would be amazing. I'd like for this podcast. Yeah. It, it changes the equation a little bit, right? Cause you think of like, I mean, how cool would it be to be able to have like Malcolm Gladwell? So like, it just, it wouldn't really fit for this podcast. Right. Um, and I don't know why that name just popped into my head, but well, you put yeah. yourself on the spot. <laughs> I did. And it did not turn out well. What are you most looking forward to this week? Um, you know, I went deep. I went deep on this one. Um, Monday's a special day, Memorial Day observance. And uh, with what the country's going through right now, I think remembering the men and women that died for our freedom is really, really important. I think there's going to be a lot of families that's an extra level of hurt on Monday. And we all know that, you know, most of the uh, the grave sites of the soldiers, uh, there'll be little U.S. flags there planted and there'll be uh, that remembrance and observance of Memorial Day. And I think very, very important right now what our country's going through and the political battle lines that have kind of been drawn around uh, this whole virus thing. And, and as the country starts to open up, I think it's one of the days that at three o'clock, the, um, we're all supposed to take a minute and remember. It's, it's kind of a moment to pause and to remember. And so I think it's, it's going to be a big three o'clock on a Monday for everybody local time to uh, to just stop and and be thankful for what we have because there's so much right now that we're missing. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to what I'm most looking forward to and I'm glad you went as deep as you did there. What I'm most looking forward to is this part of the show being easier to answer. Like to have things to look forward to. You know, it's I get to this part when we plan on the show each week and I'm like, I don't know. What am I cooking tonight? I guess I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but like, there's just not a whole lot. I mean, we, we could say every week we're looking forward to more places opening up, or we're looking forward to more positive news about baseball, and hopefully we continue to get that. But I'm looking forward to the days when there is more than just hoping for good news. Yeah. And isn't it odd, you know, we talk or we'll email or text back and forth about, okay, so what do you want to talk about on this coming up? And this is a hard part of the show because Mm kind of, you don't really understand what tomorrow's going to (laughs) bring. Yeah. So 
there have been there has been some good news and we're not in the middle of this anymore we're starting to come out of it so there's a lot of that to look forward to but you're right it can get a little shallow and i just i just looked and i saw memorial day and observing that and thinking about the price ever all these other families have paid and uh it's not a day to thank the current soldiers. It's a day to remember those that paid the ultimate price. Awesome. Um, I'm most looking forward to the part at the end of the show where I say love you and you say love you back. So love you, man. Love you too, big guy. 